So my subject this afternoon is the message of the cross applied in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul's response to the crisis that enfolded the churches in Galatia. The need for Paul to write to these churches was false teaching that threatened their faith and unity. It threw the saints into confusion and it threw them off track. Like when Abraham strayed into Egypt and returned to the place of the altar, Paul takes them to the cross, Christ crucified, to get them back on track. The message of the cross, the heart and essence of the gospel, is for living as it is for life. It restores the soul. It reproves those who've strayed. It regulates our lifestyle and it rejoices our heart. It's a message that's timeless and relevant for living as it is for saving. Now, I'm conscious that I'll not be presenting anything that you don't already know, but on this score, Peter encourages me when he says in his second letter, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So brothers and sisters, this afternoon, it's good to be reminded of the core truths of our faith and to be stirred up in them. So let's begin by being stirred up by the scriptures. Uh, my readings are in Acts and in the Paul's letter to the Galatians. So I'll take you first to Acts chapter 14. Uh, we'll break into the end of Acts chapter 14, which is uh, the end of Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. And I'm reading from Acts so as to get some connection and background to uh, Paul's letter. So from verse 20, Acts chapter 14, it says, the next day he left, that is Paul, left with Barnabas for Derby. And this comes after Paul ha had been stoned and left for dead. And after they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made a good number of disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, it doesn't say of Pisidia in the text, but uh, I'm just reminding you that uh, this there are two Antiochs in Acts 14, and it's easy to get confused. So this is Antioch of Pisidia. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So then Paul and Barnabas make their way back to Antioch, and this is Antioch of Syria. And we'll come, recommence the story in Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down, so they came down to Antioch from Judea and began teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. 
But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. So that's a little bit of the background. Now we'll uh, turn to Galatians chapter one and Paul's opening paragraph. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And then we'll move to verse 11 of the same chapter for the beginning of Paul's defense of his ministry. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human invention. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. Now we'll move to chapter two and the first of Paul's references, uh, apart from that in his opening paragraph, the first of his references to the cross. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now to Paul's uh, last reference uh, to the cross in Galatians, that's chapter 6, verses 12 to 15. All who want to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So it's rather a lot of reading, but it's important that we have the connection to Paul's letter and that background, which will be helpful 
uh, as we start to discuss um, the points I want to make. I feel we shouldn't pass over Paul's opening paragraph because it's so important in laying down the foundation um, and what Paul is going to say afterwards in his letter. So I'd like to just unpack a little of it as it touches on three important tenets, that of authority, unity and salvation. Authority, Paul, an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Verse one, Paul launches straight away into the source of all authority, which is God. Unity, he says, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches, plural churches of Galatia. So here's a reference to the coupling of assemblies in this district to whom he is writing. And throughout his, this opening paragraph in verses one and three and four, he refers to the glorious union between the father and the son. That takes us, doesn't it, to John chapter 17 and the Lord's words, that they may all be one, that they also may be in us, the father and the son. Unity. Salvation. Verse four, who gave himself for our sins. So there's, there's the past sense that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. So there's a present and future aspect in that too. Paul's signature, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He puts his signature, doesn't he, grace and peace into all of his writings, linking himself with the gospel of God and the gospel of Christ. One gospel, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Authority, unity, salvation. God's supreme love and authority was manifested at the cross. Verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. In the work of salvation, the Father willed it. The Son accomplished it and the Spirit applied it. The work of a triune God. Well, might we praise the God of glory this afternoon, brothers and sisters, as we ponder together the saving work, the work of saving grace, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So I felt we just had to unpack a little bit of that opening paragraph um, because it actually lays down Paul lays down in his opening paragraph the foundation of his letter to the Galatians, the authority of God, the unity of the churches, and the gospel of salvation. He then proceeds to weave the crosswork of our Lord Jesus Christ into his exposition. So I'd like us in the next, I'm very conscious of the time, uh, 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes, um, I'd like to take us briefly to Paul's calling and distinctive message under the heading of authority, then the occasion of Paul's letter to the Galatians under, under the heading of unity, as the context to hearing from Paul about the cross of Christ under the heading of identity. So first, Paul's calling and distinctive message. Paul's calling was radical and his preaching 
distinctive. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 that the gospel that he preached, he received through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that God who called him was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul wasn't being arrogant when he said these things. He was simply stating his authority and deep conviction, the authority for his apostleship and the authority for his message. There was a good reason for this, of course, as those um, who were unsettling the Galatians were trying to undermine Paul's authority and message. So he felt the need to deal with that first in his letter. Not of human origin, but divine. The message that we hold in our hands, in our Bibles, and in our hearts is from God, and it's by revelation. Paul was singularly clear on this, and so should we. This is a very important point, brothers and sisters. The scriptures are our final authority on faith and doctrine. The New Testament scriptures contain teaching that was first delivered by word of mouth from the Lord himself to his apostles, referred to as the apostles' teaching or the foundation of the apostles. He had, by the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer in John 17 alludes to, I've already mentioned uh, it already, but it alludes to those who believe through the apostles' teaching, who believe in me through their word. They're the apostles initially, of course. This word was from God and it was truth. So the apostles' teaching was authoritative. It was revelatory and by revelation, and it was complete that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Both John and Peter concur with Paul. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, the commandment of the Lord and Saviour spoken by your apostles. And John says, 1 John 4, we, that is the apostles, are from God. He who knows God listens to us. So Peter, Paul, John, they're all together in acknowledging the authority of their message, of their apostleship. It was from God. Now we begin to see why Paul was at such pains to put right any deviation from the truth that he'd received from God. Consequently, since God is the source, we are bound to subject ourselves to its authority as disciples in churches of God. We acknowledge God as the source of authority, his authority for what we do and how we do it. It was the apostles' teaching. S apostrophe, not apostrophe S, not one man's teaching, but all the apostles together, which was the Lord's teaching. They all agreed on it, and we'll come to this point next. 
the terms the cross and Christ crucified appear to be unique to Paul's ministry and teaching. Paul opens in his letter to the Corinthian church, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's preaching and teaching centered on the person of Christ and his work, as was John the Baptist, so was Paul. John was the messenger, Christ the message. John was the lamp, Christ the light. Paul was a light bearer of the truth of God to the Gentiles, and of course, Peter to the Jews. So let's come on to our second main point now. After dealing with the authority of the message, we now come to the occasion of Paul's letter to the Galatians under the heading of unity. Who were the Galatians? They were members of the churches located in a region called Galatia. Now, according to Acts 13 and 14, they were established by Paul and Barnabas during their first missionary journey. Um, and that would comprise at least, uh, according to the record in Acts 14, Lystra, Derby, Iconium and Antioch. That's Antioch of Pisidia. Now part of modern day Turkey. Antioch of, Antioch of Syria, from where Paul and Barnabas set out uh, for their first missionary journey lay about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a hub for the work spreading to the Gentiles, as you, as you know. The majority of commentators view Galatians coming after the events of Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, rather than before. And I would think that by my reading of it and the chronology in Acts, I would suggest that that, that is so. Um, it's, but it's the same issue that's in focus, that of the central truth of the gospel. Paul stood up uh, in the Jerusalem Council and he said, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are, Jews and Gentiles alike. That was what was at stake, the unity and the truth. Uh, and of course, this false teaching was threatening their faith and that unity. Paul's letter to the Galatians is regarded as, as one of his most important letters and considered to be a kind of precursor to the letter to the Romans. The reformers like Martin Luther were greatly influenced by it. The Council of Jerusalem I keep referring to that, in Acts 15, was a pivotal event in Luke's narrative. Several events recorded in the Acts were a threat to the progress of God's kingdom, but of course God would never allow what had begun in Jerusalem to go out. However, that didn't make the threat any less real or problematic. What required a gathering of spiritually minded leaders was the biggest threat so far concerning the central truth of the gospel, and Paul was right there in the middle of the debate, a leader among leaders. We've been thinking about that lately in our district uh, gatherings, a leader among leaders right there in the middle of that debate. 
This led to an immediate response via a letter, a short letter, according to Acts 15, not the letter to the Galatians. That would, by the chronology of events, come a little later. And a delegation to Antioch, and Paul was part of that delegation to Antioch in Syria. This is why, brothers and sisters, the gathering of leaders in churches of God, what we call COCG, Conference of, of Overseers in Churches of God, is vital to the unity of the churches of God, to discern the mind of the spirit, to agree on matters of doctrine. And it's based on the Acts 15 model. It's a unique gathering following the pattern of scripture and the first churches of God. At the center of the debate in Acts 15 and the import of Paul's letter to the Galatians is the truth of the gospel of justification through faith, or according to the early reformers, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Each of Paul's teaching letters to the churches has a particular emphasis. In Romans, it's justification in Christ. In Corinthians, it's sanctification in Christ. In Galatians, freedom in Christ. Ephesians, oneness in Christ. Philippians, joy in Christ. In Colossians, fullness in Christ. In Thessalonians, glorification in Christ. The expression in Christ appears over 160 times in Paul's writings. This is the essence of our experience as Christians, our experience of salvation, our identity with Christ. So more of this next. But just to conclude this section here, the message which saves unites. It doesn't divide. It unites. It unites us with Christ and with one another. Now, my final main point under the heading of identity is the cross of Christ in Galatians. We've thought about the authority of the message. We've thought about how that message unites unity of the churches. The cross of Christ at the heart of the gospel is the one event in history that connects all God's purposes, past, present, and future. It's for living, sanctification, as it is for salvation, justification. It reaches into the past as it reaches into the future. The cross and Christ are the center of the history of salvation. God planned it and viewed it before time began. Now, I mean by the cross here, the crucifixion and resurrection, for they can't be separated. You can't have the one without the other. They go together. How glad we are about that, the crucifixion and the resurrection. We serve a risen savior, don't we, brothers and sisters? Here were disciples in churches of God who'd been influenced wrongly by false teaching that insisted that more than faith in Christ was needed to be saved. They were off track. They were denied their freedom in Christ. 
that's by grace alone, without works. Works of faith come after salvation, not for salvation. This is the teaching in James, isn't it? Complying with the law of Moses belonged to the old covenant, not the new creation. So then Paul shows how we are to live by the cross. And he takes the Galatians to the cross. Christ crucified. It was the means of our salvation, of their salvation. Now it's the means of their sanctification, of their restoration, of their re re uh, reproof, of their regulation, of their rejoicing. I used to think that the Lord's words about carrying our cross daily in Matthew chapter 10 was mainly about enduring persecution and suffering for the cause of Christ. But after studying how Paul applies the cross in Galatians, I see it as this and also in its wider application, the death of self and the life of faith and surrender to Christ. You know, there are seven references to the cross of Christ in this letter, not including the reference in Paul's opening paragraph. We've read 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's our association with Christ. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly, publicly portrayed as crucified. That was Paul's means of reproving, means of reproof, and also to initiate their restoration. Later in chapter three, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And then he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 21, where um, anyone who hangs on the tree is cursed. So it's a means of our redemption. And it's the cause of our persecution too. And our, the sisters will be gathering next weekend to consider churches, consider Christians who are persecuted for the cross of Christ, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's in chapter six. We have it in chapter five too. And then in chapter five, verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the means of a rule and a regulation. And then finally in chapter 6, verse 14, may it never be for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the means of our rejoicing, jubilation. Now, in the last five minutes that I have, I believe, I, I just want to take us to these, uh, Paul's first and his last reference, which for me are my two silver trumpets, two shining beacons in Galatians that tell me what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross for me. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is my association with Christ through the cross. There appears to be two sides to this. Firstly, Christ died on the cross in my place 
who loved me and gave himself up for me. In chapter one, it's for my sins. In this, I was excluded. Christ was my substitute. And secondly, Christ died that I should be there on the cross with him. In this, I was included. I died with him so that my old self, my old nature can know death in order that I can experience living with him. Now, Christ living in me as a new creation by faith in the Son of God, walking by the Spirit. Christ living in me is, is Christ taking occupancy of every department of my life. I came across an author, uh, Robert Boyd Munger, in a little book, it's a little classic, and I hadn't read it before. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home, and it aptly illustrates what it means to have Christ in us, like a house that Jesus enters. He goes from room to room. In the library of our minds, Christ sorts through, cleaning out the worthless rubbish. In the kitchen, he deals with our unhealthy appetites and sinful desires. At the dining room table, he serves us with the nourishing and refreshing word. Through dark hallways and closets, Jesus uncovers all the places where sin hides. He works his way through every nook and cranny until his love, grace, forgiveness, holiness have filled every space. And we're able to display the fruit of the spirit in our living. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus Christ revealed in us. This is how we reveal him in our lives. Christ living in us, occupying, pervading every aspect of our life. Final uh, reference to Galatians 6 and 14. May it never be for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul concludes his short Romans, his mini exposition of the gospel of Christ by focusing our minds again on the cross and a new creation. He mentions three deaths. Christ died, Paul died and the world died. Now, what's this about? This time we see a relation to the world through the cross. A relation to Christ was in 2 and 20, Galatians 2 and 20. Sin, Satan and the world were defeated at Gol Golgotha. The world here would mean the world humanistic order, that which serves itself. In 2 and 19, I died to the law, but here I died to the world. When the world is dead to me, it has no appeal. It has no claim on me. I don't have to serve it. I serve God. I live to God. When I die to the world, my old nature died to its sinful desires. So not only the world around, but also the world within us died. And brothers and sisters, the world stays dead. It should stay dead, shouldn't it? Paul captures the essence of Romans 6 in these two wonderful verses in Galatians, like two silver trumpets, shining beacons of divine light upon the cross work of our Lord Jesus. 
What do we boast of? How do we boast in the cross? We rejoice in what Christ has accomplished. We give God glory. We delight in the wonder of it. We tell others about it. Let's rejoice in the wonder of his cross. He gave himself for us. Bless cross, bless sepulchre, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me, John Bunyan. Then let us glory on the cross, make Christ our boast, our constant theme. All things for him account but loss. And now for us, and now for him, despise the shame. Let not with him our hearts divide, since he for us was crucified. Charles Wesley. So I really have to sum up now. I've gone over by a minute or two. The message of the cross as applied in Galatians is for life and for living. Christ living in me. Me dead to the law and dead to the world. Alive to God. The message of the cross stands on the foundational truths of God's supreme absolute authority. God's unity expressed through believers gathered together in churches of God. And our identity with Christ. Authority, this expresses who God is, his character and nature. Unity, this defines who we are, a called together people, a fellowship of churches. And identity with Christ, this explains who I am in relation to Christ and the world. Authority, unity and identity. My fellow crossbearers, in the words of the Apostle Paul's closing prayer, I finish. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers and sisters. Amen. Thanks, David.